All week long, Candidly Speaking is doing a series called My Service Matters, where I will highlight veterans from all walks of life and allow them to discuss their contribution to society and their communities. My next guest is Dr. Xavier Bruce. Dr. X, how you doing today? I'm good, Luke, how are you? I am good. So uh, to let everybody know, we kind of had some technical difficulties earlier, um, but we're all good now and uh, we're gonna get we're gonna get kicked off. So I wanna give you guys an introduction of uh, Dr. X. He was born and raised in Lake Village, Arkansas, joined the Air Force in 1995, was assigned to the following bases, Shepard Air Force Base in Texas, Tinker Air Force Base in Oklahoma, Scott Air Force Base in Illinois, Defense Logistics Agency in Pennsylvania, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio, Fort Detrick, Maryland, deployed to Kandahar, Afghanistan, Bahrain, Bagram, Afghanistan, Camp Arjvan, Kuwait, Aljaber, Kuwait, Aludeh, Qatar, Soto Kano, Honduras, and he retired as a lieutenant colonel in the military. He has been featured in the following works, The Refractive Thinker, Impact of Demographic and Professional Characteristics on Group Purchasing Organizations, Use of Rational Persuasion, Uplift Yourself, A Black Veteran's Guide for Empowerment, Eight Rules to Make a Strategic Energetic Transition. He and his wife also run a fitness business, and I want to allow Dr. X uh, an opportunity to speak about that, that fitness business that he and his wife run. Yes, uh, thanks for allowing me to uh, speak about uh, my wife's uh, aspect of Uplift. Uh, we've, we've started an, a fitness arm of Uplift because we wanted a holistic approach from mental and emotional to social and spiritual to physical and financial. But it's that, that physical piece that's very important because it holds everything together. When your body starts falling apart, it can ruin finances and emotions and your thoughts. So what we wanted is to create Uplift Fitness. Uh, so she has uh, not only a, a certification in personal training, but she also has fitness bands uh, as well as some other tools and and um, and programs that will help people get uh, fit and and stay fit. Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. And um, people don't know this, but I originally met you and your wife at the gym. My wife uh, began speaking to your wife, and I saw you know I saw you guys, but again, like I said, I never I never really put the two together. So it was exciting to to get to this point to where we can have this conversation. Because when I, when I first became friends with you on Facebook, you know, I always kind of look and see what people are doing. And I was really impressed to see the work that you were doing. So when I did this Veterans Week podcast, I thought it would be a great opportunity to have you come aboard. So the first thing I really want to say is uh, thank you for your service uh, to our country. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, and you know, we, we really appreciate that. So we want to dive right into this. Uh, you were in the Air Force Academy. Um, so we're, I, want to, I want to ask you to kind of tell us a little bit about your time in the, in, the, uh, in the Air Force Academy, how you got there, and, you know, your story as it pertains to becoming an officer in the, in the Air Force. Yeah, so I applied to the Air Force Academy uh, in high school, and I tell you what, I thought I would be able to get straight into the Air Force Academy, but my grades weren't high enough. Uh, so I got 
a uh, an invitation to attend the Air Force Academy prep school. So I did that for one year, and then I was admitted into the Air Force Academy. Now, uh, one thing about the Air Force Academy is that it's it's like college slash military. So it's if I would have gone to a regular college, it would have been easier because it would have been mainly academics and maybe some sports. But at the Air Force Academy, it was not only academics uh, and, and sports, but it was also the military aspect that was a, a bit tough. Uh, so when you add those things together, um, it made for a difficult time for me, particularly. Uh, at one point, I had a 1.87 GPA and was about to flunk out. And I decided to uh, to leave the football team. Uh, you know, uh, little black boys, we don't quit football or basketball or football or, or, or track. But I did at 19 years old. And that just started uh, a different uh, aspect of my life in terms of looking at what's important and, and what needs to be in the forefront. So uh, I got there at the academy. It was tough while I was there, but I persevered and uh, entered the, the Air Force as a second lieutenant. And, um, you know, 24 years later, I retired as a lieutenant colonel. Wow. Now, you, you talk about a story while you were at the academy where there there's already not a lot of um, people who are black that are there. And you talk about some of the upperclassmen, how they treated you guys. And it was it was it was the same for everyone, except when it's only, a, I, I believe, nine, nine out of 10 ratio. Um, you know, that made that a little hard. Can you talk a little bit about about that that experience? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's a handful of, of blacks and, and minorities there at the Air Force Academy and, and all the academies, uh, for that matter. Uh, a very, very few of us uh, as a freshman. And what you have to deal with are upperclassmen. And it's sophomores, juniors, seniors. And like nine of, out of 10 of them are, are white. So when you're coming, depending on where you're coming from, um, if you're coming from the South, like I was, Arkansas, or if you're from Mississippi or Georgia, you know, those Southern states, you feel some kind of way by mm. being yelled at, uh, even though that's part of it. That's the rite of passage. That's basic training. Everyone gets yelled at. However, uh, that does not <laughs> keep you from feeling some kind of way. Uh, when you're going through that and you and you and you see that some people are having just too much fun with it. Yeah. They're just going above and beyond. Uh, and that's something that I had to um, I had to deal with. Uh, and, and and many, you know, black freshmen at these academies, they have to deal with it. And, and those that did not go to the academy, maybe they went uh, through uh, basic training. Well, it's it's some people take too much um they have too much fun with it and and you can feel some kind of way about it but when you think that it's over as a freshman at the academy and then you go into the regular air force as a lieutenant or a captain and you still see some of the the remnants it's more overt i mean mm. it, it's more covert then you're like oh okay all right this this is a thing mm. so um yeah it was interesting that, that is interesting because when I was in Korea, I've been to Korea twice. When I was there the second time, I had a my supervisor. He was a guy who had retired and he got called back. 
He's a funny guy. You know, he got called back and they told him, you're coming back and you're going to Iraq. And uh, according to him, he told them he would come back, but he's not going to Iraq. And that's how he ended up in Korea. Well, one day he came to me, he had a story. We had a, a captain in our unit. He wasn't a, uh, I don't think he was, I don't believe, no, he wasn't a company commander, but he, he was a captain in the unit. And apparently one day they were in the restroom and the captain made a reference to him, but he called him, he, he referred it to as like, you colors and like mm. you colored people. And I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if he knew what he was saying because, you know, he's one of these younger guys, but he had to know something. Um, and my supervisor at the time, he was we were well, he was he was he was an E7. I was an E6 at the time. And, um, you know, he told me that story. And I, I just was was shocked that this guy yeah. let that come out of his mouth. So what you say about the, the academies is is not shocking to me. But why do you think there's not a lot of. Um, African-Americans that are in these academies? Is it that we aren't aware? Is it that we don't apply? Uh, why, why do you think that that might be? I think it's a combination. Number one, we don't know anything about it. Think about it. I'm out in Arkansas in a small town is in the Southeast corner. What academy is near me? None. Right. So I did not know anything about it. Now you may take the same uh, kid black kid that lives in Maryland and they've heard about the Naval Academy because it's in Annapolis. Right. Uh, but uh, the majority of, you know, the, the, the black uh, kids uh, may not know anything about it. That's number one. Number two, especially after, you know, some of these wars and 9-11 and, and, and all that. Now, not only does the kid not want to go, the parent may not want their kid to go mm. into the military. Uh, and then uh, Kids uh, may want that college experience. If you're a black kid, you may want to go to an HBCU, mm. but as you can party and you can pledge, and you can have a normal, uh, you know, college experience. So a multiple um, dimension uh, is associated with uh, uh, why we don't typically go to the Air Force Academy, Naval Academy, West Point, because. Uh, either we don't know about it, we don't want to go, or um, we're kind of afraid to go into the military. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, as you're telling this story, I'm thinking back to my school days. I don't ever remember seeing any academy. I've always seen the Army, like the regular recruiters, but I never mm -hmm. saw anyone, from what I can remember, I never saw anyone from the academies. And maybe they were there, I just didn't realize it, but that is a really excellent point that we, we don't know, and people here... Everyone knows about Naval, the Naval Academy, like you said, it's in Annapolis. So mm -hmm. um, everyone yep. knows knows about that. So that's 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 really interesting. Um, so you were what what did you actually do while you were in the Air Force? What was your job? So I started out as a communications officer. Now they call them cyber operation officers. Um, I started out there, but then there was what's called a RIF a reduction in force happening around 2005. And basically the Air Force said that, hey, we got too many of y'all in these year groups. Y'all mm -hmm. gotta go. We're mm -hmm. gonna cut it by 30%. And I saw the writing on the wall because uh, at the time, me and my supervisor, we weren't seeing eye to eye. Uh, so I just, I just had a feeling that I would be on the chopping block. So. I retrained into the Medical Service Corps so that I could become 
a healthcare administrator, which is kind of what I wanted to do when I was at the academy. I, uh, I majored in biology when I was there at the Air Force Academy. I was okay. so interested in human biology and I wanted to become a physical therapist at the time, but my grades, again, they weren't good enough to go straight into physical therapy school out of the academy. So I had to pick just a, a job that was left over because I, I graduated toward the bottom of my class. I, I didn't have many assignments or MOSs or AFSCs to choose from. So right. I had security forces, missiles, and communications. I said, well, I like computers. So I, 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 I got into communications, but when I retrained into the healthcare administration field, I stayed there for the rest of my career and um, ended up here at Fort Detrick in, um, in a medical position. Uh, even though it's a army post, uh, you know, I was able to get a joint billet right here at Fort Detrick, Maryland. Okay. Yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, that's pretty awesome. And so you also speak about um, one of your, the tougher times in your life, uh, spending time in Kandahar, Afghanistan. Uh, can you, can you, can you tell us what that was like? I, I tell the story all the time that I never realized that the air force deployed. I went to, I did my advanced individual training or AIT at Fort Meade. So we were kind of, a, mm -hmm. kind of I guess Fort Meade is a joint base, uh, pretty much. Um, mm -hmm. and I was in class with a bunch of air force people and they were all relaxed and they were all chilled and, you know, they, you know, everybody goes back and forth between the Air Force and Army. We have our jokes or whatever. And yeah. I never realized that they actually deployed. Now, I knew they would go overseas, but I didn't know they did actual combat tours because it's not something that's it seemed like it wasn't really emphasized. Um, so mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about that tough time in your life when you were in Kandahar, Afghanistan? And uh, what what is what is what are some intense or scary experiences that kind of change your mindset around uh, during that time? Yeah, so it was a very stressful situation for me, especially because I, I volunteered to deploy to Kuwait. And the powers that be did the whole bait and switch routine, and I ended up being deployed to Kandahar, Afghanistan. Hmm. So from the safest place you can deploy at the time to the most dangerous place. So I had some mental and emotional anguish with the, how that turned out. But because had I gone to Kuwait, I, I would not have had an issue with finishing my doctorate. I was in the 11th hour of finishing my doctorate. And, and I said, you know what, uh, if I get to Kuwait, I can finish up. But then when I went to Kandahar, I said, well, I might not get it after all. But uh, long story short, I ended up getting it in Kandahar. But uh, I tell you what, I um, it was it was tough because we were dealing with I was dealing at the at the time, not only my doctorate, but I was in a rocky marriage at mm. the time, and I was dealing with rocket attacks at the same time. Wow! So I had those three things going on. Um, even there were reports that the bad guys were inside the wire. That means they're they're on post. They're amongst everyone. They're not just outside the fence and out there. No. There were reports that, and I was alone. I, you know, I just kind of did things on my own. I, I didn't have a battle buddy. So, right. you know, there were times in which I was like, well, let me go ahead and um, get here or get there before it gets too dark. So it was, it was stressful. But I tell you what, the um, experience that stands out the most in my mind uh, was that one morning I was on the phone 
and um, that rocket attack came in. Boom. I mean, things shook off the wall. I hit the floor. Then after you hit the floor, I didn't have to run to the bunker. Well, it was early in the morning, so I was the only one in that bunker. Mm. And I was like, you know what? I, I need to talk to somebody about what I'm feeling right now. And uh, But I, I did not trust military medicine. Mm. You know, there's a stigma associated with what, you know, now is, is you know, uh, I was diagnosed with PTSD. Uh, so what I was dealing with, I did not feel comfortable telling military medicine about it. Because why? They would, they would consider kicking me out. Yeah. Consider taking my top secret clearance. I said, damn that, I'm not talking to nobody at medical facility. Right. And then I didn't want to talk, I couldn't talk to my wife because we were on, on bad terms. And uh, my brother, we were, you know, we weren't really talking at the time. My mother, she worries a lot. I didn't want to worry her. Mm. So at the time I said, you know what? I got to uplift my damn self. Right. And that's what, that's what sparked uplift the company. That for-profit and the non-profit. It, it came from that scary moment in Kandahar when that rocket attack, uh, when it landed nearby. Wow. Wow. That's, that's uh, pretty intense. And, you know, you, you bring up so many things that brings up so many thoughts to my mind, because I think even, you know, being in the military, um, especially when you reach certain ranks, people expect you to have certain things in order. And it's almost to a point to, like you said, we don't we don't want to go to anyone with issues that we're dealing with or or things might be going on at home. Because one, for me personally, I just didn't trust anybody to keep my information <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't trust anybody to do that. So I think you bring that up. And well, you, when you bring that up, that makes me um, want to let people know that, you know, you can reach some of the highest ranks in the military. And the the deep down inside is as much as people want to believe we're machines, we're still humans deep inside. And mm -hmm. we still deal with a lot of real human emotions. And the difference with us is we can't always we can't always process those emotions the same way someone in a civilian sector sector would because your leader might say, well, you're supposed to be a leader, figure it out. You know? So I mm -hmm. thought that was interesting when you, when you said that. So that was, that was some uh, really good points there. Um, so what would you say were some valuable leadership lessons that you learned in the air force that kind of helped you along in your career? And you told a story about how you got to where you are today, but how, is there anything you give the, uh, the Air Force credit for, for, for helping them propel you into the direction that you're in right now? For me, I had to learn, well, we have core values and it's integrity first, service before self and excellence in all we do. So the integrity first is, you know, at the academy, you cannot lie still or cheat, right? You get in trouble. You get an honor violation. You're getting kicked out if you lie, steal, or cheat. But you also get kicked out if you tolerate anyone who lies, mm. steals, or cheats. So if you know about it, if you're someone's roommate, or if you knew they they copied someone's test answers or whatever, and you know about it, you're getting kicked out too. Wow. So, and then the second one, you know, service before self. Now I'm at a point in life in which I'm trying to help others more so than ever because I've gotten to the point where I'm good 
in terms of mental, emotional, spiritual, physical, financial. Now I'm trying to help others get to a point in their lives in which they feel like, you know what, I'm good. So mm. that service before self that the Air Force taught me there, uh, it, it has stayed with me. And then excellence in all we do, I, that's what I, I strive to be, you know, uh, pursuit of excellence. Uh, you you shoot for the, the the stars. If you miss them, then you can you know hang on the moon on the way down, right? Mm, right. So uh, so that's what the Air Force taught me. However, I had to learn what's called self leadership because I had to take care of myself and become a self promoter and a self starter and and become self disciplined because I had no mentor. I had mm. no role model. I was a black male healthcare administrator in a space where I would say over 90% of, of the force were white. Wow. Um, I even asked someone, could, could they be my mentor? And I was like, Oh, you, you're good. You don't need a mentor. You're, you're good. So, um, so the core values stuck with me, but I also learned the, the aspect or the concept of self-leadership. Wow, and I think that's a perfect seg- segue to my to my next question. You were talking about the excellence um, portion. So you have a quote on your website from uh, General Powell, and um, it says, "If you are going to achieve excellence in big things, you develop the habit in little matters. Ex- excellence is not an exception; it is a prevailing attitude." And when I read that, when I read that. Um, it makes me um, think about uh, a scripture in the Bible that says, if you will be faithful with little, you'll be faithful with much. And mm-hmm. uh, so that's what that made me think about. But what 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 do you think regarding this quote from from General Powell? And what what would you want people to grab from that as they come to your website and they see that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say, look, you can't win in life if you don't now if you don't know how to, to play the game of life. And you might not want to look at life as a game, but when you look at our society and our jobs and, and, and politics and our relationships, it involves little games that people play. And when you're young, it's like playing checkers. But when you get older and you, you know, you're retired, you're a veteran, life is more like chess and checkers. So we have to decide who is playing what role in our lives, whether it's our, you know, our, our spouse, our, our kids, our siblings, our parents. And remember that people come into our lives for a reason, season, or lifetime, but always for a learning experience. So I would say get into the habit of deciding things like, okay, is this person a friend or foe? Mm. Are they value added or destructive? Are they draining my energy or are they giving me energy? Uh, and and uh, the part about excellence, and excellence is an attitude that we must have, especially black veterans, in order to be seen as universally remarkable, not just remarkable uh, around other black veterans or other black people. No, universally across the board, that crossover appeal, if you will, and, and to be seen as extraordinary and to be seen as somebody. That's that's what excellence means to me. And, and uh, that's. My definition of it, everyone has a different definition, but uh, at the end of the day, it is an attitude. Mm. No, that's very that's, that's very true, and I like that. So uh, with that said, I want to transition into the work that you're currently doing um, outside of the Air Force. 
um, because you're doing work for for veterans. Um, and I really, I really think that the work that you're doing, I really enjoyed going through the services that you provide, because I believe that when I got out of the military back in 2000, late 2000, I can't remember, uh, maybe 08 or somewhere around there. Some of these resources would have been really nice. Namely, you talk about the, the TSP to 401k transition, something that the the transition assistant program didn't talk much about. They talked about the resume and stuff, but they didn't talk about none of the, <laughs> you know, none of the stuff that, that you're talking about. Um, so I really appreciate that. And, and one of the, I wanted to read an excerpt from your, from your um, uh, book and um, you know, it kind of goes into, it kind of gives a good idea of, of what you, what you kind of went through and some of the stuff we already kind of went through, but I, I really want to, I really want to highlight this. So I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and read this, this, um, this book. And the book that I am referring to is the uplift yourself, um, book. So I'm going to read an excerpt from, from that. So it says, this book is for people who forge their own paths. Those who don't belong in the narrow confines of a particular town or vocation, those who try as they might still struggle to connect with people or ideology or ideologies that demand that they fit neatly into boxes that were never meant to contain. I want and then so now I want to go down a few lines. It's for veterans who have recently transitioned out of military service and are questioning whether they fit in the world. I was you. I'm a 24 year Air Force veteran who has stayed longer than I should have in failed relationships. I continued playing football at the Air Force Academy, even while my passion was no longer there, and I struggled to keep up with classwork. I put myself in a position that I had to accept that what was given to me, rather than flying my own plane. It all came to a head in Afghanistan back in 2011, when I was on the phone arguing with my ex-wife when a missile attack landed less than 100 yards away. Instantly, I ran to the nearest bunker for safety, not knowing if I would make it out of there alive. That's when it hit me that my life was upside down. That's when I that this was the start of my reckoning. This was when I said, pull yourself together. This was when I decided to get up out of there, get up out of there. And by there, I mean, up out of anything that was not bringing me joy, peace and prosperity. I knew I needed to get out of Afghanistan, out of a dead end marriage, even out of the Air Force, out of anything that was no longer bringing me joy. And then you further go on into um, the book has eight rules, uh, but I want to quickly go over um, a portion of what's what's inside of rule one. It said I was in a bunker in Kandahar, uh, Kandahar, Afghanistan at a very stressful time in my life. The fact that I was inside of a bunker in a hostile environment was stressful enough. But on top of that, my marriage was falling apart. I was also having a hard time accepting the fact that our son was born with special needs and I was struggling to form a connection with him. Here I was, a major in the Air Force, defending my fellow airmen and women from rocket attacks while things were exploding in my own personal life. This may sound crazy now, but I actually volunteered to deploy to Southeast Asia to escape the battlefield back at home. I was stationed in Philadelphia at the time when I requested a six-month reassignment in Kuwait. I mistakenly assumed that by willfully signing up to deploy, I would be saved from being stationed somewhere more dangerous. And I wanted to read that because that reading that, even though we already talked about it, it really captured me from 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 your book. And I really want people to go out and uh, go on Amazon and purchase this book because that really 
um, that really captured me. So can you, even though you've, you've talked about this, can you tell us a little, is there any more insight that you can give us on first? Why, why did, what made you add this to the book? What context do you believe that gives us all? And can you, can you just, um, describe, um, in other ways, how you were feeling when you finally realized, man, I I really have to lift myself up. Like you said before. Mm -hmm. So when I was in Afghanistan, it was for me to be in a position in which everything seemed to be going in the wrong direction. Mm. I wanted to put this in the book and be vulnerable and be transparent because many of us are not transparent. Mm. Black men, wow, we would die and keep these secrets and take them to the grave before we put ourselves out there like I did in this book. So I just wanted to be bold because I wanted other uh, black veterans to be bold and 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 not have to almost, uh, you know, uh, just want to go into a cave somewhere and, 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 and just fall apart. Right now, after you read this, this book, and you're dealing with a rocky marriage or a, a bad situation at the job or whatever you're dealing with, um, you will see that after you take a look at where I am now, based on where I was, that you can see it through as well. So I put these details in the book. I could have just made it seem like I was this G.I. Joe, Hmm. that I was this, you know, this hero that did everything right, saved lives and just had this illustrious career. (laughs) But that's not that's not true. And Hmm. that would have been false. Hmm. So I did not care what people thought of me after they read this book. Uh, some people will be appalled. Hmm. Some people will be taken aback. Others will be inspired. And I've gotten feedback. Uh, most of the feedback that I've gotten has been positive. Like, wow, it's relatable. It's uh, it's transparent. Good read. Those are the types of, uh, of feedback and reviews that I've been getting from the book. So I put these details in there and um, this part that you just read, I wanted people to, I wanted to take people there. Mm. I wanted to take them there to Afghanistan, dealing with these mental and emotional issues, but also in an environment that was non-permissive. That was, you don't know when a rocket is going to hit you head on or nearby and just rip you to shreds. You just don't know. You get to the point where you're like, I, there's no way that it's not like the cartoon where you can look up in the sky and see it coming and say, oh, okay, move out of the way. Right. You just don't know. Yeah. You don't know. It doesn't work that way. So I wanted to be transparent and, and take people there. And uh, even though that is a story about Afghanistan, people are dealing with uh, bad situations and bad environments right here in their own home mm-hmm. or in their own city or in their own situation. So I just wanted to give people some context about you know, uh, what it can look like and, and how you can see it through. And I think that's awesome. And I myself was inspired, which is the reason why I wanted to um, put put that out there, because 
well, I remember when I was when I was doing my research and I read it and I was like, man, I wish now I had a little more time so I could read even more of the book so we could talk more about the book. Um, but, you know, that wasn't the intention. But, you know, I, when I read that excerpt and I was like, that was so transparent. That was so honest. And you're right. We don't um, as as black males or men in general. But a lot a lot of times black males, it's, it's a really deep stigma that, you know, you don't you don't talk about some stuff. And my cousin and I, we're we're about the same age. We've only recently started, you know, being upfront and honest about certain things. You know, as we as we get older, you know, we talk about some of the medical things that are going on in our lives or, you know, some things that might be going on at home, you know, that we can, you know, we can kind of bounce off of each other and say, hey, how did you handle this situation? How did you handle that situation? And uh, mm -hmm. so I thought I, I think I think that's key. And, and that segues into uh, one of the services that you provide is to help soldiers transition from the military to the civilian world a lot of people don't realize how um how difficult this transition can be and it's always been a passion of mine to find some type of way to reach back and you're already doing that and i think from an enlisted member's mind because when i joined the army i didn't have a college degree and uh, mm -hmm. i ended up getting it while i was in the military however had i stayed in only three or four years i get out of the military and if I don't have my college degree, then I don't have the leadership experience. I don't have a lot of stuff to put on my resume. However, a military officer, at least in the Army, you come in as a second lieutenant. Uh, if you spend four years in, you'll probably make captain. You'll probably take a company command. And someone will see that on your resume and say, hey, you have program. You can be a program manager because you've managed over 150 people in one unit. So I've always mm -hmm. had a passion to see how much I can help soldiers transition i was specifically thinking about some of the enlisted soldiers who weren't aware of certain things but um mm -hmm. you kind of cover it all so can you talk about how you help mm -hmm. soldiers and i'm sorry i was a little long-winded there but i get excited about this topic <laughs> um <laughs> so you know can you can you talk about how you help soldiers or service members period i say soldiers because i was mm -hmm. army but you know service mm -hmm. members in general how do, how how do you help them transition from military life to civilian so our goal is to tell these soldiers, these airmen, these, these troops, something that they don't already know, okay? Mm -hmm. There are a lot of services out there that they can get for, for free. They can go to the VA, or they can go here, they can go there. Our goal is to tell you something that you don't already know, that you can't just go out and, and, and get anywhere else. There's a, a program called TAP. TAP is the Transition Assistance Program. Nowadays, you have to go through TAP when you separate or retire. Well, back in the day, there wasn't a TAP. So uh, when you look at your, your 60, your 70-year-olds, your 50-year-olds, those that got out that are veterans and did not go through TAP, uh, those are some of the ones that are really in bad shape because they, don't have, they didn't have a clue of what to do when they got out. Well, now it's like a mandatory program that you, you have to go through. However, it's only five days. Yeah. I stayed in the military for 24 years. So right. you give me five days and I need to, I have to figure out how my mind is spinning. And they, they say, you need to do this. This is how you navigate USA jobs website. This is what you need to say in an interview. So in five days, we're supposed to be uh, transitioned out effectively. And what we're doing is we're filling the gaps in tap. Mm. Okay. We're there's, I think it was, uh, I think it was, was it Rumsfeld who said that um, there are known knowns, there are known unknowns, and then there's unknown unknowns. Mm. These are the things that you don't know that you don't know. Right. So 
we provide coaching on the things that veterans don't already know. You don't know that you don't know these things. And we do this from the inside out. So there are six types of there are six types of stress that mess up the way that we show up. And what I mean by mess up, it's an acronym. It's mental, emotional, spiritual, social, universal, and physical. So what we're finding is that there's a financial aspect that exacerbates those six types of stress. Hmm. So now we're looking at from the inside out being mental and emotional to physical and financial. So we're helping veterans by doing three things. We identify their biggest concern, their pain point, what we call their energy block. Which one is it? Is it mental? Is it emotional? What we're finding is that most problems are at least mental and emotional. Mm. And then what we're doing with these veterans, after we figure out, it's kind of like the scientific method, identify the problem. Right. Well, we identify the problem. And then once we're done with that, we don't stop there. Now we're looking at analyzing their energy level. And this is where the magic happens because this is based on my life coaching certification training. Because at level one, we feel like a victim of circumstance. Our life sucks. I lose. Why is this my life? Why did I, you know, you just, you're, you're depressed. Well, at level two, now you're, you're the fighter. Now you're, you're angry. Now you're defiant. And you bounce most of our society based on uh, my research. 70% of our society resonate between level one and level two. Level mm -hmm. one, feeling like a victim, or level two, wanting to fight. You go from sad to mad and you bounce around and you do that most of the day, most uh, weeks, most months, and that's your life. You're a catabolic. Uh, you're chronic catabolic is what we call these type of people. And, and they're in our families. They're at our jobs. They're always arguing. Mm. They, they, they pick fights <laughs> and they don't have anything good to say about most things. Mm. And what we're doing at Uplift is we're coaching each of those seven levels because each has, each of them have an advantage and a disadvantage. Uh, level one, victim, level two, instigator. We're going all the way up to level seven. Hmm. And that's your best self. You're non-judgmental. You're absolutely passionate. You're creating opportunities and success versus level one and level two. You just, you, you, you just, you just feel like life really sucks hmm. and um, there's nothing that you can do about it. So what we're doing, again, our special sauce is teaching about this concept of energetic self-perception. And that's the magic at level two. And then our uh, level three, or uh, I'm sorry, step two is analyze the energy level. And then finally at step three, we're teaching you how to make a command decision. Mm. And that, you know, at a command decision is something that you decide to do on your own outside of uh, authority, no one's telling you what to do, or no commander is telling you how to do it. You're making a command decision. And uh, we have 16 that you can choose from. Um, and, and, and that's, that's where we're, we're um, picking courses of action, because now you can pick, okay, let's do this first, and then let's do this second. Okay, if this doesn't work, what's plan B? What's the contingency plan? So it's a holistic approach to learning how to 
make a command decision in order to raise your energy level from level one or level two up to at least level three, where you're taking at least 1% responsibility for hmm. what's going on in your life, forgiving yourself and others for your decisions and cooperating instead of being lethargic at level one, defiant at level two, now you're being cooperative at level three. So when we raise your energy level up to at least level three, now we can alleviate the stress and anxiety that we identified in step one when we identified your energy block. Wow, that that sounds like a, an amazing program. I've I've spoken to different people who are life coaches and I've never heard anyone break it down and explain it like that. It, it sounds almost like you're, um, for lack of a better way to put it, it's almost like you're unlocking certain levels at certain time and then you reach to that ultimate level that you unlock and you're able to do certain things um, that you weren't able to do when you were back at level one. So I thought that was an awesome explanation and it, and it, and it, and it sounds really well thought out and I can tell there are a lot of people uh, could benefit from that, especially transitioning military members. Um, mm-hmm. so, so, so that's great. Um, but the one thing I don't want to want to get it lost on, I don't want people to think because this, this, this is for veterans week, uh, veterans day is tomorrow. And, um, but I don't want it to get lost that you all, you provide this service to, to anyone who is at a, a phase in their life where they're transitioning from divorce to new marriage, new job. You, you, so, uh, can you talk a little bit about, that portion mm-hmm. too, you you uh, mm-hmm. provide this more than for the military. Oh yeah, oh yeah. There are so many other segments of our society that can benefit from our services. Uh, anyone going through a life transition and is struggling with the stress and anxiety associated with that transition can benefit from what I just described to you as our framework and it's called strategic energetic transition. Uh, and uh, again, it doesn't matter if you're a veteran, you could be a, a, a single parent, you can be, you can, you can, you can seem like everything is good to go, but you just want to take it to another level. It's not that we are only focusing on people who may feel like they're dysfunctional. Mm. You can, you can feel like, you know what, life is good, but you know what, I want to be optimized. Mm. I want to enhance my life. I'm good, but you know what, I'm ready to, there's, there's, there's levels to this. I want to take it to another level. Hmm. So we're helping people where they are and it doesn't have to be a veteran. Uh, It can be anyone going through a life transition uh, and they want to optimize their performance. And it starts with the mental and emotional energy uh, that we uh, will coach them on, on how to, to tap into that. Wow. Okay. I I appreciate you going into that. Like I said, I didn't want people to think that you only provide this for military, but you're, you're open to, um, people of all walks of life who, who are looking for, for that transition. Um, Mm -hmm. there's another service that you have, um, that, that we'll talk about. And this one really excited me and and I want to go straight to a point here. Um, but I want to kind of go over these, um, you call it integrated services and in this integrated Mm -hmm. services, um, you do the financial planning um, for military. You do the SGLI um, conversion um, for people that don't know that service group life insurance um, TSP rollover. Um, again, for people that don't know, TSP is the 
military's equivalent of the 401k, which I recently learned a little more about, um, which was encouraging uh, stuff. So you also do student loan refinancing, health insurance, supplemental health insurance, life insurance, disability income insurance, long-term care insurance, annuities. This is another thing that I have been um, have been learning. But what I want to go back to is uh, pre- prior to us actually having this this podcast, um, you you gave me some really valuable information um, about the SGLI, and this information is information I would really love for um, some other military members who may be still in the military and are are transitioning out, and they're they're they want to get into some type of life insurance, and they're considering possibly doing the VGLI because to do the VGLI, you have to do it within a certain amount of time. So, can you talk about? VGLI versus SGLI and, you know, just hit some of, if you can hit some of those points about the, um, the VGLI that, you know, as I said before, I I wasn't aware of. Mm -hmm. So when you're getting out and they're, they're going to talk about this in your tap class. Um, so they're going to mention VGLI that's uh, veterans uh, group life insurance. So if you, get into VGLI within a hundred. So you're going to lose your insurance and people don't know this. You're going to lose your insurance as a, as a, a military member uh, after 120 days. So you get four months of insurance after you get out of the military. After four months, you got to go find another insurance mm-hmm. because what we don't realize is that SGLI is a group term insurance. So basically your term is over when you get out of the military. Right. So it's not, it's not a whole life insurance. It's a term life. So when you're going through tap and you're like, okay, I got SGLI. I've had SGLI ever since I was 18 years old, $400,000 policy. Well, at 18, you were overinsured, but guess what? Now in your late thirties or forties or whatever, now you may be, uh, underinsured because your house costs more than that. Right. True. Uh, yeah. But um, so, so when you see VGLI, you're going to be like, okay, I'll go with that because guess what? You're just so used to that, that GLI. You just think <laughs> right. that, okay, it, it must be good because it has GLI in it. Right. <laughs> so uh, you may be quick to just say, you know what? Uh, guess what? We're not informed and we just sign on the dotted. We're just used to saying, okay, the government has been taking care of me this long, VGLI, they mention it, I'll sign up for it. But Mm. what veterans don't realize is that their monthly premiums almost double Mm. every five years after the age of 50. You can go look, you can go look on the website yourself, you know, at 50. And I just looked it up just to see what the current numbers were. Mm. At 50, at the age of 50, your premium would be about $144 for a $400,000 policy. Okay. Right. Well, at 55, it goes up to $268 wow. per month. Wow. And then five years later, at 60 years old, it goes up again to $432 per month. And you may wonder, well, what what's really going on? Why are they doing this? Well, you're subsidizing veterans across the nation. Right. So there are some veterans that are in really, really bad shape. I don't know when the last time you visited a VA hospital, but there are some people in really bad shape. Well, you're 
in the same group life insurance that they are. Mm. So that's one of the reasons why it goes up so much each five years, because you're, you're, you're helping pay for veterans that are in really, really bad shape. Now, if you're in really, really bad shape and you can't get insured uh, when you get out, then that's a whole nother story. But if you're in decent shape, then you may want to consider a different type of life insurance. Wow. Yeah. And these are things that I didn't realize because like I said, I was looking around and I was like, why didn't I sign up for the VGLI? But, but I never found the the data points that that you are re- referring to. Um, so I, I think that's really good. The next one of the other things that you do with the integrated um, services that I want to talk about for veterans. And then, uh, you know, I'll kind of let you go into the other stuff is the um, the TSP rollover. So. Mm-hmm. TSP, in my opinion, is not talked about enough in the military um, and just savings in, in general. So when I came in the military, I think now they mandate a certain percent, like one percent or something like that. But when I came in the military, um, they were like, hey, you know, you should put money in your TSP. And that was the story. <laughs> and <laughs> they're like, you know, put money in your TSP. That's the story. And then, uh-huh. you know, you get around into the units and everybody you talk to, they're like, well, I just do the G fund because, you know, I don't lose a lot of money. I don't make a lot of money. But, you know, even that didn't really sit well with me. I'm like, there's there are other options. There's the C, the S, the I. What are all these? You know, you got the life cycle stuff. Like, what is all this? And then I later mm-hmm. learned what the C, S and I's were, you know, the international stocks, uh, common stocks. And I think the S is for like S&P 500 stocks, you know, all this stuff that I didn't know that the military never really talked about. Now, we had some finance mm-hmm. people that will come. But I didn't know the questions to ask because where I grew up, we didn't we didn't I mean, we talked about working and saving, but we didn't talk about investing. So mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about um, what you're able to do with for people to help uh, service members r- do the TSP rollover to to 401ks? Mm-hmm. So basically with your TSP, when it's when it's time for you to get out and you have left the service, guess what? You can't put anything else in that TSP. You right. can't put any more money into it. So now what veterans need to realize is that that TSP will help recreate your paycheck when you want to actually retire. And I'm not talking about a 20 year retirement. I'm talking about when you don't want to have to get up out of bed and go to a job and you still want a paycheck coming in to accommodate the lifestyle that you want at that particular age. Right. The TSP or a 401k, that is what uh, that money is designed to do. It's, it, it's there to recreate your paycheck when you decide not to work anymore. Now, when you get out, guess what? Do you want to leave what's going to be your paycheck? Do you want to leave that with the military? <laughs> now that you've moved on, now you got a you got a government job, now you're a GS 12, 13, 14, uh, and you're at a different job, or or guess what? Maybe you are a contractor, or maybe you're just doing something else. Well, some veterans just leave it over there, but guess what? It was not managed. No one was managing it when you were in the military. Now that you're out, you know no one's gonna manage it. So Things can be going down the drain, but no one is there to say, hey, you know what? We need to move money out of this fund 
and move it over to this fund right. that is actually performing fairly well so that you don't lose everything. Right. Uh, but but again, military veterans, we got enough to worry about. We got deployments. We trying to, you know, fight the war on terror. We trying to do the mission. The last thing you want to think about is, okay, do I need to move it out of my I fund and put it in my S fund or C fund or what we're doing at Uplift? And the reason why we incorporated these integrated services is we know that veterans, especially black veterans tend not to know these things, these financial measures and vehicles. So we want to demystify it and give Black veterans a, a, a person, a, a company that they can go and talk to and not feel some kind of way about it mm. and, 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 and feel like they can trust someone and, and someone with a similar lived experience that they have so that uh, they feel comfortable talking about their financial issues. And when it comes to TSP rollover, um, we want to get that TSP that you've been putting in for, for a number of years. We don't want to leave it somewhere that no one is managing it. We want to take that and perhaps putting it into an individual retirement account, which is an IRA or something else in which you and your financial planner can sit and co-develop a plan to make sure that when you want to retire at the age you want to retire, you can recreate your paycheck so that you can accommodate the lifestyle that you want um, and you're not struggling. And, and you're at an age in which you're not having to um, you, 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 unless you want to do this, uh, you, you may not want to be checking receipts at, at Walmart. <laughs> okay. Unless that's something you want to do. But when you're in your late, your mid sixties or seventies or, or whatever, you may want to be doing something other than checking receipts at grocery stores. Right. And I think, I think to that point, I think one of the things uh, that really uh, stands out to me is back in, I believe it was a 2008 financial crash, uh, market crash, I believe. Uh, I think that was a year when Enron had, had basically crashed everything in the market. And I constantly heard a lot of stories about people who had these retirement accounts and they were all invested in, you know, that, that one space because they just didn't know. And I saw, I remember this 70 year old guy who was hoping that he would retire. Now, I don't think this guy was a veteran. He might have been, but he was hoping to retire, and then all everything crashed down, and he, he, he wasn't looking to go back to work at that point, but he ended up having to go back to work, but nobody taught him, hey, you might not want to put all your eggs in this one basket. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the part that you talk about, you know, how you disperse your money, I, I think is – I think is uh, very key. So you also provide some other services that um, I'll let you uh, pick and choose how and, you know, you mm -hmm. want to talk about and I'll just kind of uh, name them, you know, the financial planning, the student loan refinancing, health insurance, supplemental health, life insurance, mm -hmm. disability, uh, long term care and then the annuity. So um, are there any talking points in those that you would like to share? I tell you what, I can wrap it all into one statement. Okay. We're wanting veterans to protect what they've earned, what they own, the things that they owe, and most importantly, 
those they love. Mm. So you have to take a look at these integrated services to see what is your biggest concern, what is your biggest pain point, and what, because I tell you what, um, for example, let's say health insurance. I mean, 67% of bankruptcies, almost 70% of bankruptcies are due to medical issues, mm. like being unable to pay your the, these high bills and due to uh, time lost from work. And I'm, I just believe that some of our homeless veterans are homeless because of uh, bankruptcy. Mm. They don't, they don't have any, any money to, to, to have a home or to have a roof over their head. So uh, what we want to do is catch people in their, uh, you know, their twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, get things in place so that uh, God forbid something happens, uh, it won't be devastating. Hmm. Okay. No, that's good. I, I appreciate that. And, you know, I'm glad you mentioned the age thing because my son, he's young right now. And I tell him, I tell him all the time, like, listen, man, you know, um, you have to, you know, the earlier you start, the better off you're going to be um, and learning this stuff. So anything that I can learn, I try to teach him because I didn't get taught that stuff. And he's probably not listening to it a lot right now because <laughs> of his age. But, you know, I, I think I just think this stuff is uh, so important. So one last thing I wanted to kind of talk about, you have a course on, I never knew how to pronounce this, but I always call it Udemy. Mm-hmm, um, okay. So you, and I, I, as a, as a graphics video person, as a media person, I always have gone there. I have a few classes that I pay for there. So they're, they're a reputable, uh, source. Um, so you have a class on there. Can you, can you go into what your, your online class is on the Udemy uh, website? Yeah. So this is a deep dive into the strategic energetic transition framework that I'm talking about. The, uh, you know, identify the energy block, analyze energy level, and make a command decision. Well, this is a deep dive into that. And it's self-led, so uh, you can take it at your own pace. Uh, there are, there's video. There are uh, times in which the, the video pauses and you can answer questions. Uh, there's a, a companion workbook to this Udemy course. What I wanted, especially when COVID hit, and I could not get in front of veterans. I wanted, I ha- you got to pivot, man. You got to left flank, right flank sometimes. <laughs> yep. uh, but I wanted to put different modalities in front of veterans. So I wanted a self-led online course. I also have an uh, instructor-led online course that I built on Canvas. I have the book, the workbook, and I also have flashcards. So now that I have my system uh, pulled together, my development system, um, veterans can, uh, depending on how they best learn, uh, we can meet them where they are. Wow. Wow. No, I, I really, I really appreciate that because you're right. We do have to, as a business owner, business, uh, person, you do have to pivot in these times. And I'm a person, you know, I'm, I love watching, uh, shark tank and I, and I always hear them and it's not where I got it from, but I always hear them talk about, you got to be able to pivot. You got to be able to pivot. You got to be able to pivot. And I think your example is is exactly right. During this time with the with the virus and the pandemic, you know, that 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 disrupted a lot of markets and a lot of things. So if you can't pivot, then you're just going to watch your 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 services or your or your market decline. So I really appreciate um, that you that you went out and uh, and did that. So um, with that said, Dr. X, it was a pleasure 
having you on here. I will add all your information once we um, once this podcast is up. I'll add all your 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 contact information, website. Uh, I really think I, I honestly think that a lot of veterans are going to hear this and they're going to be encouraged by some of the things that you said. And I'm I'm really hoping to to kind of have a few of them actually reach out to you. Uh, because they, I know a few people, you know, I came in, if I stayed in, I'd be retiring around this time. So I know some people who are coming close to retirement and we've had discussions about this kind of thing. And I know they will be looking um, for this for this awesome service. So I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And the last thing is, um, do you have any uh, encouraging words um, as we go into Veterans Day? Um to encourage uh, our veterans that are at home or abroad? You know what? I'm going to leave you with a poem that has helped me see things through. Uh, this poem is by uh, Edgar Aberguest. It says, when you're up against a trouble, meet it squarely face to face. Lift your chin and set your shoulders. Plant your feet and take a brace. When it's vain to try to dodge it, do the best that you can do. You may fail but you may conquer, see it through. Black may be the clouds about you and your future may seem grim, but don't let your nerve desert you. Keep yourself in fighting trim. If the worst is bound to happen, in spite of all that you can do, running from it will not save you, see it through. If even hope may seem but futile when with troubles you're beset. But remember, you're facing just what other men have met. You may fail, but fall still fighting. Don't give up whatever you do. Eyes front, head high to the finish. See you through. Wow. I really appreciate you sharing that poem with us. Um, that is um, it for the Candidly Speaking podcast. Dr. X, again, I, I thank you for your service and I thank you for your time spent here. If you want to hold the line, I'll, I'll hop on and then... Um, Uh, We'll go from there, but thank you for your time and and thank you for your service to our country. Hey, thanks for having me, Luke. Appreciate it. Thank you.